Well, welcome to this ProServartner podcast, part of our ongoing series, Talking Outsourcing. My name is Paul Morrison. I'm Managing Director at Transformation Advisors ProServartner. I'm delighted again to be joined by our CEO, Rakesh Sangani. Say hi, Rakesh. Hello, everyone. I'm Rakesh Sangani. <laughs> and uh, today's topic uh, is for you if you're in the market for outsourcing services. It's how to run a successful request for proposal or RFP. So how to tender and get great uh, responses in on a great service from that process. Um, to frame the topic, I guess I'd say that as we've talked about before, BPO is is still after all these years a growing market, uh, eight or 9% a year uh, of growth uh, for process areas like finance or payroll or HR, contact services, and beyond that into IT. So that means that many organizations out there need to reach out to the market, speak to suppliers, get a proposed approach, get pricing, uh, debate terms and conditions so that you as a buyer can can select. So that's still an important activity for many organizations, not every year perhaps, but across, across the back office, uh, relatively, uh, regular occurrence for organizations to think through. And it's a, it's a big deal in terms of potential effort to contribute, and it's a big deal above all in terms of the outcomes. So a well-procured outsourcing deal uh, can be a major strategic boost to your finance function or your payroll or your enterprise as a result, uh, for example. Um, if it's done badly, then you may end up with a bad deal, the wrong provider, a very poor service and a real risk to your to your business. So it's a really critical transaction. And I think, uh, as uh, we've talked about recently, uh, in a sense, it's a it's a game of poker. You may be playing with the suppliers on the other side of the table, but it's a game they play very often, and it's a game that you, as a buyer, uh, will play uh, infrequently. So it's really important to approach it with uh, the right insights and the right the right skills. Um, that's how I frame the topic. I don't know, Rakesh, before we dip into our sort of key questions to ask, any any thoughts on, on this topic from your direction? Yeah, I think um, I think it can be underestimated uh, the power of a good RFP because um, a lot of organizations don't know what they want until they've seen something from an outsourcing vendor. That's not what they want. So I think um, making that investment early, understanding requirements clearly and why they're doing this and success factors um, really helps prepare a great RFP. So I think it's one one area that I always think is a bit underestimated. Just using a template that we used maybe 10 years ago probably doesn't do it because it really does need to be fit for purpose for what objectives you really have, what you're trying to achieve, um, and what what particular factors will differentiate one particular outsourcing firm versus another? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no. It's uh, it, it demands attention, and the investment that goes in uh, will be will be repaid with 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 payback for sure. So, w- without further ado, then let's sort of dive into our uh, framework, our key questions to be asked, and we've got a a why, a how, how many, a who, and a what to take you through. Um, and I'll, I'll kick us off with, with the why. And it's really just to think about the point of an RFP and, and, and why, it's, why it's important. 
And I, I would say that there are some situations where you're a, a new buyer for an outsourcing service or a BPO where actually it doesn't make sense to go to the market. You can do it sole source to use the, the jargon. I think particularly if there's a small activity, uh, perhaps carried out by only a few individuals, um, perhaps where um, you've, uh, you've got a really good advisor like Prosavana alongside you who can understand the market and uh, fast track some of the, the questions and the um, providing a, a view on the market pricing, then uh, there's a good case actually not for issuing an RFP. But the typical rationale, and it's one that's powerful, is that by running an, an RFP, by issuing that tender to multiple parties, then, then obviously you're generating a competitive pressure. You're generating a reason for the bidders to sharpen the pencil and provide a good price and to really concentrate on listening to your requirements and giving you uh, investing their time in responding and, and providing a good a good pricing. So, you know, with, without that uh, and without uh, those other factors where sole sourcing makes sense, you run the risk of engaging with an individual supplier where you don't have that pressure, you don't have that uh, appetite to, to give you a good deal and you end up with an average or even a, even a poor deal. So market testing is the, is the DNA of an RFP and the, the reason for doing it. Uh, on your side, Rakesh, uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're always up for an RFP or look before you yeah, leave? I think, I think they're generally a good idea, right? So, um, and, and the length of that RFP is something worth considering. Uh, how short or how long do you really need to go? Because even if you've got a um, uh, a couple of suppliers and you're thinking about a quick um, decision-making process, an RFP still helps in those scenarios. So for me, an RFP can help on a number of factors. It's the price. Um, certainly, it gives you facts you know, versus um, maybe an email discussion or a proposal um, where which can create ambiguity. And that's probably the second point because what you really want to do in these types of complex contracts is reduce the ambiguity. You don't want to have made an assumption that something is what you think it is, um, but the reality is different. So I think what's important is you know not just to kind of um, get the right price, but also to remove that ambiguity and to formalize discussions so, you know, you may have thought that the discussion you had uh, in a meeting in you know, a few months ago was a great one. And they mentioned a price that was quite attractive. But when you go down to what that price was for, what levels of resources it mm. referred to, what assumptions were made in terms of your baseline um, and volumes, then all of a sudden um, that can unravel quite quickly. So I, I think it's also around formalizing. Yeah. Um, so you've got a set of facts that help you make a fact-based decision uh, rather than you know, ambiguity around a particular solution that potentially isn't fit for purpose in the end. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great point. I like, I like that formalizing, formalizing the, the approach, the, the price. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I think it is possible to slip into a, an agreement casually, informally, with things unsaid, with things untested, with things unclear. And that's, yeah, absolutely. It's messaging as well on the other side. It's a message to um, the suppliers that you're working with that you're doing this seriously, that you're 
uh, really structuring an approach, which means you've considered what you need to do, what you need to achieve. Um, and that can also ensure that you get the right attention um, from the supplier community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. And that, that links to the, the second question for our framework, which is how to approach it. What's the right the right balance? And my feeling here is that you've got to strike a balance between seeking that competitive tension that's going to drive a good value, but, but also being collaborative. And I think that links to your point, Rakesh, there about uh, you know, the perspective of the, of the bidder and uh, r running through an RFP process that may take five, six, seven months or more uh, is a big investment for those participants. And so there needs to be a respect for them and um, a, a realism on the side of the, of the buyers in terms of uh, the effort they and the bidders will need to put into the process. So there's a, there's a balance here between you know, pushing com the competitive side working with the, the bidders in a respectful way and actually also enabling the bidders to be creative and bring their best ideas forward. There's a, a sort of tradition or a tendency for some organizations to be uh, not only formal but prescriptive. And so that, that can limit the ability of your expert bidders to provide their expertise on what a good solution looks like. So I think that's a, a difficult balance to strike, but uh, you know, one that, that can be done if the process is well well designed. Um, your take, Mukesh? Yeah, I fully agree. I think you you want to foster a collaborative business partner type relationship because ultimately this is where it starts as you go through that RFP process. But at the same time, you want to ensure that it's competitive enough so that you get the best deal. So it's a it's a balance of those two objectives. Um, and I think if you if you do it well, you can not only get the right type of um, deal and the right risks mitigated, but you can have the right people on your account. You can uh, ensure that you've got really uh, strong commercials behind it in a competitive process against um, other outsourcing suppliers that they want to win against. So, yeah, I agree. You should be respectful. You should try and understand also their motivations um, um, when I say they, I mean the, the outsourcing firms, um, together with your own and understand what the wins-wins are and mm -hmm. what the win-lose situations are. So yeah. you've got a clear framework that allows you to make the right decisions um, when you're considering how to move along that journey. Yeah, yeah that's great. Understanding the bidders, uh, treating them as human uh, as well, which um, <laughs> doesn't always happen. So that's, that's great. So we've, We've done a why, we've done a, a how. Um, number three is, is how many, how many bidders should you have in the process? And this is a, this is a, this is a fun one. Um, uh, and again, like some of the other questions, perhaps it depends. It depends on, hmm. on the scale. Um, it depends on the specialization. I think it depends as well on the maturity of the sector. If you're, if you're looking for bids in a very mature sector where ways of working are really evolved and standardized then you know probably don't need to go out to uh loads of loads of bidders um you might you might uh, suffice with three or four i think however if you're if you're pursuing quite a complex outsourcing where the scope combines different capabilities 
um, and where there's uh, some niche solutions in there, then you know perhaps five, six, seven, or even more uh, bidders might be relevant. Um, if you take a process like HR, uh, where you've got some you know, relatively commodity BPO activities like uh, HR admin, alongside some deep niche specialisms like uh, learning and development or, or recruitment, then it's actually very unusual to find all of the capabilities you need in all the geographies you need in, in one place, and you're going to need to work with um, multiple providers. So I think in in cases like that, uh, you know, you may even uh, break out into into even more. But I think yeah. on average, I don't know what you feel about this, Rakesh. I think usually uh, we'll see a BPO out of the market with um, an RFP with I don't know five or six uh, six players at the start of the process. How do you see it? Yeah, I think I think the standard tends to be between five and eight at the start of the process. Um, but I think it does depend on all of the factors that you mentioned and a few more. You know, how how speedily do you want to go through that process? Um, the more the more outsourcing suppliers that are invited, the more time it's going to take for you to analyze, to engage, to collaborate, to really um, work with them. So I think there is, again, a balancing act here of making sure you've got enough so that it's interesting um, and you're driving the right commercial value for yourselves as an organization. Uh, and you've got that variation of different styles, um, but not too many, so that you know suddenly the process is going to take you too long. Um, so I think it's a balancing act. I would say also it's probably less important the number of providers that you finally agree on and more important the different types of providers. So, you know... It's, it's pointless having all of the same. Um, it's maybe worth thinking of, you know, the variation of the blue chips versus the specialists versus the generalists versus more IT legacy, um, et cetera, when you're considering what that, what that community looks like. So I think that's probably a more important question rather than the sheer number. That's great. Well, that's a great question. That, I guess, uh, crosses into our fourth Fourth question around the who, uh, so that, that definitely takes us into that into that territory. Uh, I, I'd say I completely agree with that point around having a blend of types of types of approach, types of solution in in the mix. I think if we're talking BPO, um, and I'm not going to try and provide sort of exhaustive walkthrough of of the market or of of names, but there's there is definitely, yeah some very different types of organizations that are in the mix. You've got some of the BPO specialist players of the likes of WNS or Agenpact um, that have grown up out of BPO. Um, they're at a certain size um, and uh, increasingly focused around some of the, the data and analytics BPO uh, activities as well. I think there's, there's, a, there's a breed of perhaps similar organizations like um, an EXL, um, where uh, there's a heritage of industry vertical processing in sectors like insurance uh, that give it you know, maybe a different take as well. There's, there's definitely, as you say, the, the large global SIs, the, you know, the particularly IT um, focus, so ranging from the IBMs or the TCS, HCL um, organizations to, to uh, Cognizant as well. So 
generally these are very large organizations where most of the services um, have an IT uh, flavor, uh, often ERP focused or systems implementation focused, but they also do BPI work as well. So they bring a different, um, different scale, a different mix of supporting services. Um, and then, then there's smaller players like a, uh, a Datamatics, let's say, just we'll take one example, um, that serve perhaps, uh, yes, but multinational clients, but um, at a different different size again. And then there's this whole series of other specialisms uh, like the voice and contact specialists like teleperformance and, and so on. So uh, as I say, I don't mean to, to try and um, name check the whole industry, but I think that's really important. You've got different shapes and, and sizes in there. One, yeah. um, uh, uh, to, to come in, Rakesh, one, one thought just to add to that is I think as well as thinking about the blend of types of uh, bidder to have in the process, I think it's important to think about peer, what we call peer matching. So it's the um, how important will I be to the supplier? Um, yeah, you know, that's right. and, and some of these organizations are absolutely enormous now, over 500,000 employees. Uh, and that's not to say that you can't get great service from some of these organizations, which is among the world's largest businesses. Um, but the chances of being able to get the attention of the chief exec um uh if there's a challenge with your with your service is is not great it for us, yeah i agree i agree yeah. i think look what's first of all what's amazing is how many options exist today um that are realistic options so you know if you asked a lot of analysts and and including myself 20 years ago around this marketplace i think we would have struggled to guess the size and how these companies have grown so significantly over the last 20 years. So I think we're left with today with a lot of choice. And I, I think you're right um, in mentioning all of those dimensions of choice. The, the ones that probably resonate most with me are around geographic. Um, you know, is that is that particular vendor quite capable in the US or in Europe, you generally have a difference um, when you're looking at um, the supplier community around where their specialisms are in terms of types of clients. Um, in terms of domain is probably the second lens where, you know, are they specialists in finance, HR, contact center, uh, or generalists across all of them, and industry. You know, a yeah. few years ago, um, I think for life sciences, um, you, would, you would definitely consider Gempact as an option. Um, because of their case studies within that particular industry. Um, similarly, in insurance, uh, obviously, Excel have a really strong uh, insurance backbone. Um, it's, you know, you'd look at the airline industry and you look at where WNS came from, um, um, and it would be difficult to look outside of them. And then you look at, um, you know, the, the blue chips. So I, I think the industry factor is the third lens. So I think when considering which companies which outsourcing firms to have in that rfp process think about domain think about geography and think about industry brilliant thank you so that leads us to our final final question to think about um maybe the the biggest of all which is the what so what you know what is the structure of the of the process for rfp how, how do you do that and at pro Savannah, our methodology 
is focused around typically a five-month process to step through a series of stages, and I'll, I'll list them out. There's a specification stage where the key task is to define the RFP document, set out the scope, set out key commercial terms, set out the objectives, and a whole series of other information sufficient to give the bidders enough information to, to respond to. So the goal is to be as detailed as needed to enable a good informed response. It doesn't need to be everything, um, but it needs to be uh, enough. And there's typically quite a lot of effort required to engage with the, the business, with the process experts, with IT, with compliance, and so on to establish those points. Some organizations, it's quick. Others, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of uh, disciplined uh, mapping or discussion to, to capture that information. So that's the first step. The second step is around a response period in which the, the bidder is going to uh, pull together their response. Uh, like specification might be around a month uh, again, and it needs to be enough time to enable the, the bidders to do, their, to do their homework. Too little time will mean a, a rushed or superficial answer. Um, too long a time uh, is a delay, <laughs> um, but judging it just right, gives them enough time to ask questions, to get good responses and questions back. It gives time for collaboration workshops where um, you and your uh, team can engage with their team around the, sh the shape of the solution and, and gets, uh, gets the creative juices flowing. Um, and that leads into a analysis period, um, again, a number of weeks, perhaps a month to to review the responses in detail, to crunch the, the numbers and the pricing, to compare, to interview reference clients and uh, form a, uh, a clear, well-informed analysis of, of the strongest. Typically, we'd have a, a best and final cycle in that, a BAFO cycle uh, to sharpen the pricing and uh, iron out any, any big questions. And that uh, typically is enough to uh, reach a final down select that would lead into a contracting period, and that's you know possibly the most open-ended um, uh, in terms of duration. Typically, uh, two months might be required for that uh, to get a contract in place. Again, that's clear, workable, complete, uh, and uh, you know, sets the foundation for a great, great implementation. So I think that's the that's the. The, the bare bones of what an RFP process uh, that's well structured would uh, would look like. Um, Rakesh, what's your reflections on, yeah, on this chewy one? I think the two areas that I feel are most underestimated are the specifications and the contracting. So the specifications generally are not done well enough um, when you know thinking about outsourcing, really understanding, especially if it's a first-generation outsource, really understanding the processes in enough depth. And, you know, technology today can help you. Process mining, task mining technology can help you really build out that knowledge around specifying processes. So that's one big area for me that I think could be done a lot better um, when running RFPs is understanding processes, understanding KPIs, being able to specify them really well as part of that RFP and understand the why statement. So generally, organizations do want to save costs, 
but it's a very different contract when you're aiming at 20% versus 50%. Um, so it's good to understand, um, even if you don't specify it in the RFP, what your targets are, what your parameters are, what the most important factors are of that winning deal. So, um, yeah, I think the specifications is one that I think definitely needs attention early on and businesses don't do that well enough. And then the contracting on the other side, I would say the same. Uh, I think too often does an organization think, oh, we've down-selected, the contracting will be easy. Um, whereas actually the contracting can unearth a few things that were not considered before and can be really painful. And you learn a lot about one another as you go through that contracting phase as well. So um, I think that's another area where, you know, more and more we're seeing businesses doing dual contracting rather than sole contracting as they're going through that decision-making process because it, it really helps to have maybe a prime and then, you know, an alternative as you're going through that phase and you're doing the hard negotiations around all of the factors that you want to make sure are in the contract, the people that you want, the terms that are most important and so on. So, yeah, Absolutely. I think contracting and specifications needs particular attention. Absolutely. Yeah, there's um, the devil is in the detail in, in these items and investing the time uh, is... Uh, is, uh, is key, absolutely. But I have to say, and I regret to say, we have to close. Uh, we've uh, used our slot and it's a wrap. So uh, massive thanks, Rakesh, for your, your thoughts there. My, my takeaways from today, I think around that point on choice, uh, it's, it's a really good good point. There is a load of choice in the market. It's a good, good time to be a, a buyer for BPO services. And I think also around that, uh, aspect around finding the balance, the balance between competitive and collaborative, finding the right balance of participants, for example. I think a lot of the points on this uh, RFP list are about uh, getting an informed and reasonable balance in place. So uh, we'll call it a day. Uh, our listeners, thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the podcast via Apple, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find more information on our ideas and our events at presavartner.co.uk and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks for joining. Take care. Next time.